before we begin, what is the purpose of communion? You know, you've been sitting here thinking about it? Relationship with the Lord. Relationship with the, huh? Okay. This is a hard question, and we're going to see why. There are many, many different, uh, many, many, but I have uh, four, five, one, two, three, four different views of communion that I found. There's, there's others, too. And what was your answer? That, that I thought the same. My first thought was that we can be one with the Lord and have fellowship with Him. One. Anything else? Anybody want to add to that? Say anything? You're allowed to talk. Anybody? Any thoughts? Could someone get me a piece of chalk from one of the other classrooms? This is just almost down to my fingernails. Well, the word com communion does mean fellowship. But my question is fellowship with whom or what? And the initial response is with the Lord. That's kind of a general statement. What is it that's to be felt? What do we fellowship with? What's, what's to be going on there? Yeah, that's a little better in case I need it. Okay, let's begin in chapter 11. Now, last week we looked at chapter uh, 11, verses 1 through 16, dealing with uh, the different coverings. Uh, the head of every man is Christ, the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God, and so on. Now, in the same chapter, Paul moves from that, and he moves into something else. Now, in the scriptures, in, ch in chapter 11, uh, it is... This is called the Lord's Supper. In chapter six, uh, excuse me, in chapter ten, verse sixteen, it's called communion. There are various names for it, depending on the affiliation that you are. Some call it the Eucharist. Uh, some call it communion. Some call it the Lord's Supper, and and so on. So basically they're talking about the same thing from the scriptures, from the gospel, and also from Corinthians here. Now in verse 17, we're going to start there, and we're going to just read a couple verses, and then I want to talk about communion a little bit. Verse 17, now in giving these instructions... I do not praise you since you come together not for the better, but for the worse. So he tells the church, okay, you're coming together as a church body, but you're not coming together, together for the better, you're coming together for the worse. Now these were people who had received Christ, they were Christians. And it, you would say, well, how could they come together for the worse? Isn't it always beneficial to be gathered together. Paul says that the manner in which they are observing communion says to him that their coming together is not for the better of the body, the betterment of the body, if there's any such word, betterment, but for the worst. Verse 18, for first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and in part, I believe it. So there were divisions among the Corinthians, and the divisions here play a significant role in Paul seeing what he sees and saying what he says. Now, there would not have to necessarily be divisions in a church today like there was here, and still have them come together for the worst. And I'll, I'll show you why. 
we were born with a carnal nature. And one of the things that we have to all deal with is remnants of that. When we came to Christ, we were a new creature. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. But the remnants of the carnal nature will arise in all of us at times and will cause us to see things a certain way and will cause us to move and function and do things without even really maybe even thinking about what we're doing. It's just like, you know, you get up in the morning and, you know, some people can't function until they have a cup of coffee. But some people can have a cup of coffee and still can't function. So you get up in the morning and you walk through the house. Well, what do you do? You kind of just do things without thinking about it. You know, you go over and you stumble into the bathroom, you know, you know, take a shower, you shave, you know, you put your makeup on, whatever you do. You do all these different things sometimes and you're not even really thinking about it or paying attention to what you're doing because you'll do something and you'll come back later and say, did I do that? Did I put that there? Why did I do that? So we do things in the natural and don't really even think about what we're doing. And the same holds true in the spiritual. We will do things and, and move and function a certain way and not really being aware of what's going on. And the remnants of the carnal nature, the way we were, the way we functioned, the way we did what we did before we, we became Christian, we can move in certain patterns and still move in, in that in a certain degree, to some degree anyway, and find that later on that something wasn't quite right there. So here you have this church, they're gathering together, and Paul, who is the father of the Corinthians, spiritual father, he says, you're not gathering here and having communion for the better, but for the worse. So he says, there's divisions among you, verse 19. For there must also, and this is quite an astounding statement to me. For there must also be factions among you that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Let me read this from another translation. For there must also be factions among you. Maybe this is the same. No. No. Uh, for there must also be factions among you, so that those who are approved may become evident among you. And the word approved there is to be genuine on the basis of testing. So something is going to test what is there in the heart or the motives of the heart, why the person is doing what they're doing so that those who are doing it for the right reasons and not having some other motive or the wrong motive, Paul says that you would be approved. So there's factions in the church so that those who are genuine will be approved. It'll be evident, the ones who are genuine. I don't know evident to who, to the Lord, obviously, but maybe it'll be evident to those who... Uh, can see those who uh, are walking uprightly, those who are moving in the righteousness of Christ. It's going to be evident here, as he says, that the factions are going to prove or, or approve one or the other. Okay. Now, is communion, or you can say the Lord's Supper, for the purpose of remembering the Lord. You say yes. The focus of communion has been debated for centuries. Did you know that? The church has been, you know, worldwide, those who call themselves Christians, debate, even today, what the focus of communion should be and what communion really is. And I have listed here. Now, who knows what transubstantiation is? You don't know what transubstantiation is? You yeah, you should. Yeah, for those Catholics. Yes, because you're a Catholic. <laughs> <laughs>
Okay, I'm going to read these because some of these views I'm not really familiar with. Now, that one I am, but this is what they believe. The Roman Catholics believe that the host and the wine actually become the body and blood of Christ. They hold that while the physical properties, taste and appearance, of the bread and wine do not change, the inner reality of these uh, elements undergoes a spiritual change. So now, if that was true, that when Jesus broke the bread and, and took uh, the cup, he could, he could have been holding before him his actual physical body. But he didn't, see? He wasn't holding his actual physical body, like the Roman Catholics believe, when he broke the bread and, and gave the wine. So that's trans, transubstantiation. What's consubstantiation? Okay, that's another one. How many know who Martin Luther is? You're the only one that knows who Martin Luther is. You know who Martin Luther is? Do you guys know who Martin Luther is? Don't tell me he was a Lutheran. <laughs> you need to look at church history and study some of these things. It's, it's very, some of these people were, they lived for the Lord and the Lord used them. Did you know that he was a monk? Now, didn't we talk about him last Oh, yes, we did. Yeah. yeah, okay. All right. So consubstantiation is a second viewpoint developed by Martin Luther. It's, he says that Christ's body and blood are truly present in, with, and under the bread and wine. The elements do not actually change into Christ's body and blood. But in the same way that heat is present in a, in a piece of hot iron, so Christ is present in the elements. Uh, the Lutheran position is often called consubstantiation, which I didn't know what it was called. It also may tend to draw more attention to the bread and the wine than to Christ himself, okay. which is a, a real good point. You know, there are churches who have communion every single Sunday, as far as the emblems are concerned. But is that all that the Lord was getting at and pointing to when he was saying to do this, do this in remembrance? The next viewpoint is called the symbolic viewpoint um, or memorial view. Uh, it's derived from the teaching of a Swiss reformer, Ulrich Zwingli. He basically held that the bread and the wine were only symbols of the sacrificed body and blood of Christ. He taught that the Lord's Supper is primar primarily a memorial ceremony of Christ's finished work, but that it also is to be an occasion when God's people pledge their unity with one another and their loyalty to Christ, like you were saying here, one with the Lord. So that's, that view is a view that a lot of the churches take as far as communion. Uh, this viewpoint is held by the Baptists and independent churches. While Zwingli's idea are, ideas are basically sound, this position tends to place more emphasis on what the Christian does and promises in the, Lord, um, in the supper than on what God does. Then the fourth view that I have here is called the dynamic or the spiritual presence view. Now, this is Calvin. John Calvin, if you've never heard of John Calvin, boy, you can just do, want to read some things. I, I read some things by John Calvin, and when I was done, my head was spinning. <laughs> well, he has a lot, a lot of writing he, that he's done. Anyway, here is a view of, of John Calvin and the Reformed and Presbyterian uh, churches which follow his teaching. Known as the dynamic or the spiritual presence view, it stands somewhere between the position of Luther and Zwingli. Calvin agreed with Z Zwingli that the bread and the wine are to be understood symbolically. Christ is not physically present in the elements because his risen glorified body is in heaven, which is a good point. The Catholics believe that Whenever they get the host, they pray over the host and the wine and water, that that actually, be, be, uh, it's a transubstantiation, it becomes 
the body and blood of Christ to the point where they take it and they put it in the little tabernacle, you know, what do they call that? Well, anyway, it's a little door that has a lock on it, and they put it in there, and then they lock it so no one can get near it, no one can touch it. So that, that they believe it, it becomes the body and blood of Christ. But um, this view says, Christ is not physically present in the elements because his risen glorified body is in heaven. Still, he is dynamically and spiritually present in the Lord's Supper through the Holy Spirit. Now, do you find any of those that you think is close to what you believe? Calvin at time placed more emphasis on Jesus' glorified flesh and blood than the scriptures teach. But his position helps to explain why the Eucharist is so important to the Christians uh, to observe and why it is such a serious offense to misuse it. His view also corresponds well with those scriptures that speak of God's nourishing and empowering people, uh, work in his people. Okay, now. We're going to look at something here, and to me, when I read it, it's clear, but it's quite obvious that it's not clear to most people. There is a key element missing dealing with all this belief here on what communion is, what the Lord's Supper is, and so forth. And once you see it, it's like very obvious to you now, well, that's what to me, as I said to me, okay, that's what the Lord was teaching. But it, once again, remember that this has been debated for centuries, centuries and centuries, and that's why you have so many different sects. You know, this, uh, the Presbyterians believe one thing, the Lutherans believe another thing, the Catholics believe something different, and so forth. So let's just go and let the Bible speak to us here. So we finished at verse 19. Okay, let's move on. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. Wait a second. Here we have the body in Corinth, the Corinthian church. And Paul says, now, when you come together into one place, you think you're eating the Lord's Supper, but this is not to eat the Lord's Supper, he's saying to them. So they think they're eating the Lord's Supper. Paul says, you're not eating the Lord's Supper. Now, there's a verse here. I want to show you this. We'll just jump down to this verse and then come back. Verse 23. This is what Paul says. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that, in, um, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. So... Paul, although he was not walking with the Lord the three and a half years when Jesus was uh, walking in Galilee and so forth, we know that the Lord appeared to him on the way to Damascus, the road to Damascus, and how the Lord had taught Paul in the wilderness and so forth. So he says here that what he's giving, he received from the Lord. He received that from Jesus, and he was delivering what he had seen and heard from the Lord to them. So he says to them, you're coming together, and you think you're eating the Lord's Supper, but you're not eating the Lord's Supper. My question is, why? Even if there were divisions among them, still you would think that there would be those there that were eating the Lord's Supper, wouldn't you? He says you're not. So what is going on? Is the apostle, you know, not quite correct in this? Or is the church not quite correct in this? Well, from what I know and see, he says he received this from the Lord. Paul's a spiritual father of this church, and the Lord gives him what he needs to, to have and to say to them, so he says it to them. So I have to believe that he's right. Verse 21. For in eating, now this here, I'm going to start writing some things on the board here because there are some key things as we go, and I'll come back to these probably. For in, in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others. So he says here, 
they take their own supper before others. That's key. This is a key phrase, one of them. There are some similarities whenever you see the Passover meal, the eating of the Passover meal, and uh, the Lord's Supper. Um, in the way that the Jews ate the Passover, I should say. But the different sects brought their own provisions together, like in the church, they would bring their own provisions together to the neglect of the other. So if there was divisions in the church and there were, how, how can you call, what, what do we call them today? Cliques? There was though, but this was a little different in that there were those who were of Apollos. They believed in his teaching and his style and his preaching and so forth. And then you had those who, who believed in Cephas or Peter. When they would gather together, they would bring those that believed in, in Cephas. They would bring their provisions for the Lord's Supper there, just for them. This is what I, what I see in this. And the same with those who were in the other area with Apollos. They would come together and they would bring their own provisions to the neglect of the other. So he says here, in, for in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others, and one is hungry, and another is, is drunk. So those in the church who were poor could come into the doors and not have a supper, could, would not have any provisions for the Lord's Supper. This group over here has theirs, this group has theirs. But they're all eating their own supper, and they're taking their own supper before the others. Okay, verse 22. What do you not have houses to eat and drink in? If you want to eat and drink, eat and drink at home. Now, let's just go to chapter 10, and let's read a couple verses here. Wherefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit. Not seeking my own profit. Another key phrase here in this whole thing. Not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many that they may be saved. So Paul was interested in, let me erase this over here. The profit of many. That was his interest. Okay, back in chapter 11. Now before we go any further, hold your spot there and go to Matthew 26. Now, one of the things that you will find in the, when you read the Bible, you study the Bible, is that you'll go to one portion of Scripture, and you'll read that, and you'll go to another portion of Scripture, especially from gospel to gospel, and you will find, for example, Matthew's account of it and Luke's account of it is almost identical, but there may be a few added words here or a sentence here or something missing that's in the other. Uh, and with Matthew's account of this is almost identical to what Paul is saying, but the Lord had showed Paul a few things, and there are an addition of a few words here and there that are very significant. Now, in Matthew's uh, accounting of this, this is 26, 26, and as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and uh, gave, gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sin. But I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, 
they went out to the Mount of Olives. So this is Matthew's accounting of this time. Now, when we go back to 1 Corinthians here, we'll, um, verse 22, what do you not have houses to eat and drink in, or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? Now, how would they be shaming those who have nothing? How would they be despising uh, the uh, church of God? See, by eating their own supper to the neglect of those who there, the poor, whomever, who did not have a supper or did not have provision. Now, this thinking negates the entire purpose for the Lord's Supper. Now, they could have all gathered together and they could have remembered the Lord. You know, we want to be one with the Lord. But still, if this was going on here, if they are more interested in their own supper than in the other person, then they are not really having communion. They're not. That's what Paul says. He says, you're not coming together to eat the Lord's Supper. You're, you know, you're not coming together for the better, but for the worse. You're not coming to eat the Lord's Supper. You're eating your own supper. That's the reason why you're coming together. Don't you have homes to eat in if you want to eat? If that's the purpose of it, stay home and eat. And many, many churches... When it comes to communion, it becomes a symbolic thing only. Now, of course, the symbolism is there. But just to have communion, to have communion doing uh, the physical things with the, the bread and the wine or the bread and the grape juice or whatever, misses the point if that's all that's seen. Even if a person says, well, I'm doing this because I want to have fellowship with the Lord, they still can do that and miss the entire point of communion. Now let's continue on. Do you not have houses to eat and, eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. So he's putting them on notice that when I'm giving you, I got this directly from Jesus Christ. That the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. Now, before we go any further, from the context here, and we read it in Matthew... I'm going to read this. From the context, this is a quote from a Bible dictionary. From the context, it appears that Paul is saying that when Christians partake of the cup and the bread, they are participating in the benefits of Christ's death, referring uh, to his blood, and resurrection life, his glorified body. My question is, is that what Jesus wanted us to remember? He says, do this in remembrance of me. Does he want us to remember that he died on the cross and he rose? I don't think that we could forget that. How can you be a Christian and forget that? Do this in remembrance of me. Well, how could I forget that if that's the purpose? So I, I think that there is a greater purpose here that's totally missed. It's not seen at all. Now let's go on. For I received this from the Lord, uh, that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, there is a key phrase in this verse that will open up an understanding of communion or the Lord's Supper for us. And the key phrase is this. For you. For you. 
Take, eat, now listen closely. Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. For you. What did Jesus do? See, he gave himself selflessly for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Do what? Remember that he died? No. Remember that he gave himself for you. For you. That's key. For you. Go back to chapter 10 a minute. Let me read one verse from Luke. Luke twenty-two nineteen. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. So Luke, his account, says the same identical thing that Paul says. Do this in remembrance of me. Chapter 10, if I can find the verse, verse 24. This is another key phrase dealing with communion. Now look in verse 16, 10, 16. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? Now, the key to understanding what Paul is saying is verse 24. Let no one seek his own. Okay? Seek not your own. You know what that means, right? But each one, the other's well-being. The other's well-being. See, when Jesus died for us, he was doing that for our well-being. Do this in remembrance of me. Do what? Do for the other's well-being. Don't come into church to have communion and want your own supper and thinking always about you and your relationship with the Lord. Be concerned about your brother. Be concerned about the other person. Seek for the other person's well-being. Uh, in chapter 11, verse 21 again, for in eating, each one takes his own supper. Don't take your own supper ahead of others. See, that is the true meaning of communion. I don't think it's just remembering the Lord died for me and rose. I mean, although that's true, I mean, I acknowledge that even when I don't have communion. But true communion is for you. You understand that? When I come in to have communion, what is to be upon my heart is you. For you. Just, that's what we're doing. Do this in remembrance of me. Well, what is that, Jesus? Well, I gave myself for you. For you. That's, that was the key. That's the key. You come in with that heart, and you will have communion. You will have the Lord's Supper every single week. You have churches who have the emblems every single week, and they, they miss the for you. They miss putting others well-being ahead of themselves. And Paul could say the same thing. The Lord could say the same thing to that church, that you're coming together in one place and you're not eating the Lord's Supper. You think you're eating the Lord's Supper, but you're not eating the Lord's Supper. You think you're having communion, but you're not having communion. Because that's not what you're supposed to do in remembrance of him. So as I said, this has been debated for centuries, centuries. So the purpose, as I see it, for the Lord's Supper was for us as Christians to be others-centered, not just in our thinking, but truly in our heart, you know, wanting the benefit other people. The focus is not to be on oneself, one's own supper, my partaking of the emblems, my, you know, drinking of the wine or the grape juice. That isn't what we are to do in remembrance of him. We are to have this heart for others, for their supper, for their well-being. And 
whenever people come up front to the altar, you know, there are those in the body that have needs. And if the Lord lays it on your heart, now he doesn't always lay it on your heart to pray with this one or that one, but when he lays it on your heart and you go and you do that, see, you are putting the other the, the other ahead of yourself, you're concerned about their supper or their feeding, that, that things would be okay with them more so than yourself. You, you see, are you kidding us? Mm-hmm. Now, I heard this years ago, and I, I heard it, but I thought I understood it, and it, it, stu- it stuck with me, but whenever you actually study it, and allow the Lord to put it into action within you, that's something different. So there, there isn't any excuse for us to come to church and you know, not be concerned about someone else. Many times we're all caught up with our own life, our own whatever's going on in our world. And we come to church and... And we're interested in our feeding, aren't we? We're interested in me, me, me. Oh, I want the whole new you. Oh, yeah, I want to hear more, 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 more. And that's what we're interested in. Christians are interested in that. I go to church to feed. Well, I mean, that's okay. You, you will be fed. Uh, but what's, what's the scripture? Um, him that waters shall be watered. Did you know that's how that works? So if you want to be watered, water. But, you know, the Lord lets, lets us, as I said earlier, we function a certain way, even spiritually. And the Lord has to bring certain things to our attention so that we see them. And, of course, you know, we're not perfect in that we're faultless. We're not perfect in that we're fully mature. But we can allow the Lord to teach us. See, a um, follower of Jesus or a disciple, the word means follower or learner. It means learner. So we want the Lord to teach us. And so, you know, we're moving a certain way, and it's normal for us that we're not thinking anything about it. Well, that's okay. It's no big deal. And so you move that way. And over a period of time, the Lord will come, and he's so gentle and kind, he'll come and he'll show you something, and you say, oh, I see that. Well, he shows us that so that there can be a change, so that now we start to function a different way. Now, a baby is a baby, right? And what does a baby do? Some of you that have nursery, tell me what a baby does. They look cute. Other than that, they lay there. What else do they do? They poop. What else do they do? They, they drink milk. Now, if, if you have a little baby there, and there's, you know, he or she is there on a blanket, and they're, they're four months old or six months old or whatever. I mean, do you get mad at them because they want to drink milk? Say, what is wrong with you? You want to drink milk? No. See, that's normal for a baby. It's normal for a baby to want. Give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. And that's just the way God has created it. And that's fine. That's fine. But there comes a time when, after so many years of development, that there is a change with the individual to where now... And you can relate to this. You move into adulthood, and now it's not give me, give me, give me. That has to change. Because many a young girl has been in that mode and gotten pregnant and had a child. And when a child comes, it's no more give me, give me, give me. It's you have to give, 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 give. So there's a change there whether they want it or not. And so, spiritually speaking, when you have a, a young 
child, a baby. You know, they come to church, they're interested in, give me, feed me, I need fed, and that's, that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. That's the way it should be. But there comes a time where there's a change. Now, when we come to the Lord's Supper, even the little baby in Christ can have this heart attitude. Well, I know I need, I need, I have need, I need, I need. But when I come together in the church, I am going to put before me someone else's supper. I'm going to put before me maybe someone else's need. Because if I do that, remember, he that waters shall be watered. So you actually benefit more. So it doesn't matter where the person is spiritually. Paul is directing the entire church into this. And I find it very, very odd that this is missed. I do. Whether it is, you know, people in church don't think about it, or whether it is that, or maybe it is that, we have not had a close reading of the scriptures to allow the Lord to teach us. We just think we know it. We read it right. This is the way we read this. Take it, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Okay, Jesus died. Now we're going to have the emblems, and we're going to do that in remembrance of him dying. By doing that, and that's why I always say, when you read the scriptures, you should read a few, you know, verses and stop and, and meditate. Just think about that. Let the Lord start to teach you because I remember years ago, I started reading the scriptures and I would do that and all kind of questions would come to my mind. You know, what's this mean? What's that mean? What's that phrase mean? And so I, that's one of the things that started me into studying the Bible. I mean, I would think about it and say, Lord, I don't understand it. And I mean, just because we study doesn't mean that the Lord's going to reveal certain things to us. But it puts us in a position to where, okay, I'm meditating on this word. You know, the psalmist says, meditate on, your, on, meditate on your word. I think it says day and night, doesn't he? Anyway... But it, it puts your heart in a position to be more teachable. And then when you read it, I'd read scripture and say, okay, it's like a, it's a part of the scripture or a little phrase would just kind of stick out and I'd think about it and look at it. And sometimes I would do a search in the scripture to see if that same phrase is used elsewhere. And lo and behold, sometimes you find it in two or three other places. Then when you read those scriptures and you put them all together, it's all of a sudden now you're seeing a bigger picture of something. Um, or a particular word, you go into the Greek, where else is that word used? And sometimes you can go to those places and you can see the usage of the word there and it adds a, a totally different dynamic to the scripture that you're looking at. So I believe that the church, or maybe I should say it this way, First of all, there are, as, as far as I can see, there are not many teachers in the church. There are some. There's a lot more pastors. When I go on the mission field, pastor is the thing. They don't even know what a teacher is. They don't know. Uh, they think they know, and I told you the story how I went down there and this, the one interpreter, he leaned over and he says, are you a pastor back home? I said, no, I'm a teacher. He says, oh, he started laughing. He said, you're a wannabe pastor. I said, yeah, I didn't say anything. So the Lord gave me a message for the church that day. And I gave the message. And afterward, he came up to me and the Lord opened his eyes. He says, I understand you are a teacher. You're not a pastor. So what did he see? Well, the Lord showed him something. But being uh, in Peru and being, uh, especially in Guatemala, very, very few teachers, very few. I can only re remember one teacher of 
And every time we would go down there, we would do a seminar for around 25 pastors. And one teacher, so what's going on? See, to teach, it demands more of your time studying the word. You can't, for me anyway, I, I can't you know, say anything about somebody else. But I mean, not that a pastor can't teach, a pastor can teach. But as far as an exposition of the word, where you're going in there and you're looking at it, you're looking at the phrase, you're looking at the Greek, you're looking at the Hebrew, you're studying to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That demands time. And there aren't many who are willing to do that. Very few. I don't know a whole lot. Very few people. So if we had teachers who would teach or pastors who the Lord could show this to, and I'm talking in general, not pastor here, I'm talking about in general, that maybe some of these things like this would be more known elsewhere. That they would see the true meaning of the Lord's Supper and communion is not just remembering what the Lord did. It's not just to have fellowship. I have fellowship with the Lord, you know, every day. I don't need to have communion to have fellowship. So there's something else that's moving here. Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, for you, for you, for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Do what, Jesus? Well, give yourself for others. In the same manner, he also took the cup um, after supper, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. Do this as often as you, you drink, drink it in remembrance of me. So in verse 25, you, this is the same thing. It goes back to verse 24, the same phrase, for you. He did this for you. Where does it say it here? It doesn't say it in this translation. Verse 25 in King James. Oh, no, it's in verse 24, excuse me. Okay, verse 24 says broken. Okay. Okay, let's continue on. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. See, that's where they get that. You, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. So as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, what bread and cup is he talking about? I believe it's talking about giving yourself for others, concerned about the, the welfare and the supper of others. Okay, as often as you do this, you proclaim the Lord's death. See, he died for you. See, he died for you. You're proclaiming his death till he comes. Not that you're standing up and say, I'm proclaiming the Lord's death by having communion. No, you proclaim the Lord's death by giving yourself for others like he died. You, you proclaim his death. You uh, do the same thing. Except a, uh, a grain of wheat die and fall into the ground, it abides alone. Therefore, whoever eats this bread, now listen to this, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. So what is the unworthy manner? What is the unworthy manner? Yes, taking to yourself, as she said, and not giving to others. So this, this is very contrary to what's taught. I'm sorry, but it is. And it's very easy to see. Now, once you see that, you can go back and read this account in Corinthians again slowly, and you'll, you'll see that. You'll start to say, oh, I see that now. But let a man examine himself. Now, the word in verse 27, unworthy, means in an improper manner. 
So in verse 28, let a man examine himself. And the word examine means to try to learn the genuineness of something by examination. So you're trying to see what is genuine. You're, you're examining yourself. Am I genuine here, not in believing that the Lord died for me, but am I genuine in my inner man in doing the same thing the Lord did, give myself for others? Let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Eat of the bread and the cup, or you could say the body and the blood. The body and the blood was shed for others, for you. See, it all comes back to that, for you, for you. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Who's the Lord's body? The other people. The other people in the, in the assembly, they are, they're the Lord's body. So you eat and drink in an unworthy manner. You eat and drink judgment. What does that mean? You're going to be damned? No. It means that you are being judged by not putting others ahead of yourself. You're not discerning the others in the body, the Lord's body. You're not discerning. You're not discerning that those over there are poor, they have no supper. You're more concerned about eating your own supper. You're not observing the Lord's supper. You're not observing true communion because the Lord gave himself for all. Are you giving yourself for all, that others would have something to eat ahead of you. Verse 30, listen to this. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you. Now, that can mean uh, spiritually sick, of course. It could mean physically, too. And many sleep. I don't have my Amplified. Does anybody have the Amplified version? No. NIV? Yeah, read, read the verse 30 in the ESV. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. Hmm. hmm. Well, that's different. For if we would judge ourselves, see now he's talking about this examination, to see what my motive is there in the church, if I'm going to have communion. What is my motive there? Is my motive... Others, or is my motive self? For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. Another key phrase. Wait or one another. So I put these phrases up here to show you different portions of Scripture here, how these are key in the communion ceremony. Now, of course, you have to observe, you have the emblems there, you have that. I'm not denying that you don't uh, take the bread and the wine or the grape juice or whatever. I'm not denying that. That is to go on. Now remember back then they brought actually provisions into the church and it was more like a, a Passover type of supper type thing, as I said earlier. We don't do that. We have just the bread and, well, we do it in this church. <laughs> we have food every, every Sunday downstairs. But I'm talking about in uh, the worship service, uh, having the bread and the grape juice symbolizing the body and blood of Christ. But see, that's only the surface part of that whole thing. And that's where the church mainly dwells in that. And they see that and they're involved in that. And as far as this other here, uh, that's missed. But this is the more important thing so that you can have communion every single week if you come into the church the right way, you don't have to have the emblems. 
you can have communion every Sunday. And we are to. The emblems just take something and put it up on the surface here. Uh, and we think we're doing a religious thing that's very holy. And Paul says that you come together, if you don't come together in this the right way, that you're coming together not to eat the Lord's Supper. So I was thinking, how many churches across the world observe the emblems but don't come in with the meek and lowly heart that's concerned about the other person? Well, if, if that's not there, then they're not eating the Lord's Supper regardless of what they're doing. I mean, if they're partaking of a meal or partaking of you know, the bread and the grape juice, and they think that that's the Lord's Supper, it's not the Lord's Supper. That's not it. It's something more. It's something a little deeper. And the funny thing about this is that, you know, you can teach the scriptures, you can see it, um, you can believe it, but sometimes people are so stuck into their tradition that they, they don't believe it, they don't agree with it, you know, they, you know. But as far as I'm concerned, it's right there in black and white. It's very, very clear, very easy to see. But if anyone, verse 34, but if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment. See, so if you're hungry, that's the reason we're coming to have communion because you're hungry. Well, just eat at home. You've got hostage to eat in, he says. Go home and eat. That's not the purpose for the Lord's Supper, just to partake of the emblems. That's not it. Something much, much more. Okay, any questions? I have a question. I, um, I would have never seen that in a million years. I mean, even when you were asking, my reason, I was already in the Catholic Church. That is just what came to my mind, and I could see the priest probably out of the house and onto there and saying was, do this in remembrance of me. I mean, I can't tell you how much the Lord has had to break in me from the Catholic Church as you as you have taught. Things have come up, and it is so rooted. I would have never seen that. In well, that's one aspect there, the Catholic Church. But I'm talking now about Christian churches. Yeah, I know that. I, I mean, Christian saying, churches miss the same thing. I would have never. Oh, you were talking about reading. And I could have read this a thousand times and dissected it. I don't think I would have. The Lord really would have hit me over the head. I mean, it's it's just like the scripture. Um, Jesus says to Peter. He says, Peter, who are uh, who do men say they am? And he says, some say you're a prophet. Blah, blah, blah. He says, well, who do you say that I am? He says, well, you are Christ, son of the living God. And Jesus says, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And what he was saying, according to what Peter answered, who men say that I am, Jesus said, you are Jesus Christ, son of the living God. Upon that rock I'm building my I'm build my church. But because he said, you are Peter, which Cephas means rock, stone, little stone. Upon this rock, the Catholic Church believes that the rock he's talking about is Peter. But he didn't say that. He said, upon this rock, the subject was not Peter. The subject there was, who do men say that I am? Who do you say that I am, Peter? I am, or I, I believe that you are Jesus Christ, son of the living God. Upon that rock, I will build my church. It's the same thing. Mm -hmm. And they take that, and they say, okay, Peter's the first pope. Well, Jesus wasn't talking about that. He was talking about, you know, who do you say I am, Peter? Well, you are Christ. Well, upon that rock, I will build my church. Even though he says, thou art Peter. So what? Well, they take that and twist it. And... Many scriptures are like that. Um, you know, you wonder why you know, things couldn't be a little clearer in certain areas. Well, maybe it's because of the, the scripture we read here tonight. Um, For there must be also factions among you 
that those who are approved may be recognized among you. So, you know, the Lord says, what? there's factions, that's, that's the way it is. There's religions. So that those who are approved would, would be um, recognized. So it's not just this, it's many scriptures that people take and do what they do with them. Any questions? Okay, we'll, we'll uh, quit early.